Welcome to Enea Consulting Energy Transition Conversations. Today we are speaking with Richard Scottney, Manager at Enea Consulting and Head of Enea's Energy Access and Pro Bono Consulting Programme. Hi, my name is Richard Scottney. I'm a manager here at Enea and I run our Energy Access Programme, something that Enea is quite famous for. We think we do the most pro bono work in the whole of France as a percentage of our company's time. So it's something that we're really proud of. And so we, as well as working on the energy transition with big companies in France, we also work on a free or, or cheaper basis with entrepreneurs, startups and NGOs in Africa uh, and Asia uh, looking to uh, increase energy access in the developing world. The thing I like most about being here at Anair is, uh, you know, we have, this, we have this great team of kind of scarily clever people who, who work really hard and are really passionate about that energy transition and energy access. I first worked in energy access in 2012. At the time I was working for a company called Climate Bridge, working on carbon finance. And we helped a solar distributor called SunTransfer get carbon finance money uh, for their project in Ethiopia and I remember visiting the project in Ethiopia kind of two hours from Addis Ababa in a car and then going in a kind of pickup truck another hour and then walking another two hours and then arriving into this village which wasn't electrified and then seeing people that they were able rather than using harmful kerosene lamps had switched to, to solar and that really inspired me to work in the sector. Afterwards you worked in at the United Nations. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I have to say I kind of sidetracked a bit. So I was passionate about energy access and then I was working with the United Nations Environment Programme, looking at energy policy uh, in developing countries. So working with governments in Burkina Faso, in Mongolia, in Mauritius on their kind of green energy programmes, not only looking at energy access. And then I had an opportunity to work at a startup after three years at the United Nations called Microenergy Credits. Sure. Um, and, uh, and that's where I kind of dedicated myself full time to, to energy access. I understand that you have worked on a few projects recently with Anair Consulting. So one of which is called, uh, is it Upower or Upoa? Yeah, it's with a company called yeah. uh, Upower. Sure, okay. And um, this project is a pay-as-you-go project. Yep. So could you explain a bit more about Upower, like in the context of uh, what pay-as-you-go is and relative to other people that do the same model? So Upower is a, a Cameroon-based company that runs what, as you say, a pay-as-you-go solar model distributing or selling solar kits to rural households in Cameroon. What pay-as-you-go means is that rather than a person paying or a household paying for their solar panel up front, they pay in installments over a period of one year or two years. And this allows them to afford the system. I think the challenge in around the world in, in whatever market is that often people are interested in the product, but they don't have the savings required to, to invest in the product in cash but rather they need a kind of finance plan. It's mm -hmm. the same for a house in, sure, in France, yeah. and so it applies as well for a, a solar system in, in Cameroon. So the pay-as-you-go model allows people to pay over time for their kit. And notably, um, it would be very expensive for uh, a company to go and collect money in a village in Cameroon by cash every, yes, time, every week for the payment, so they can pay by mobile money. Okay. And then if they if the client doesn't pay again it'll be very expensive for a company to go into Cameroon and take back the system until the next payment is made 
the system can be effectively switched off uh, remotely. So that encourages repayment and keeps costs low for the company. There are a few companies that are in the solar pay go space. The most uh, well-known ones would be Bbox. So how are a power different in terms of the problems that they solve? The main difference between these companies in terms of the products is in terms of size. So sure. Bbox will tend to offer larger products and therefore slightly more expensive products, mm. which therefore aim at a different customer base. And then yeah. there's other companies uh, such as uh, Greenlight Planet, D-Light, um, and to some extent M-Copper, who've also been very successful selling um, systems of a lower wattage and with fewer appliances, um, but are more affordable and they can, can reach um, slightly poorer customers. Upower fits more into that second category of selling kind of affordable products which can, can meet a kind of mass market of, of, of customers. I think a difference with our power compared to the other firms would be that they really concentrated on what I would say is the hard bit of the uh, pay-as-you-go seller model, which is the distribution sure. and the finance part. Mm-hmm. In a way, a lot of the other companies, Bbox and Greenlight Planet, they also do manufacturing. That was very difficult, but over time they've been able to develop these really good uh, te- affordable technologies. And so companies that are power, rather than developing them, these technologies themselves, use other people's uh, technologies, use other people's kits, and then sell um, and then just concentrate on the sales and distribution and finance, which is really the, the hardest challenge. And probably the big thing about our power is that they are concentrated on Cameroon, mm. um, which is um, a challenging uh, market and one where the solar pay-as-you-go sector is less developed than in other markets such as Kenya. And what is the, the capex for a solar pay-as-you-go system? Um, so the cost, the total cost in the end to the customer of a system uh, which has... Uh, which is, has some lights, mobile phone charging, and a radio, is somewhere between 100 to 150 or even $200 uh, okay. in terms of the total finance price yeah, of yeah. that system. And then in general, people pay would pay between around 25 US cents to sure. 50 US cents per day sure. um, for that product. Um, so that's for the basic product. And then a, a more expensive product with a TV would be more in the, say, 400 or $500 range. You said something that was interesting just a yeah. second ago, which was that the more difficult part of the pay-as-you-go business model yeah. is the finance and the distribution mm-hmm. side, and not the manufacturing side. So could you explain what's so difficult about finance and distribution? I think the challenge um, is distribution, particularly is that you're selling a product which in the end is not that expensive, so say $100, say $100 or $150, yeah. um, to a customer who doesn't have much money mm-hmm. and who lives quite far away from, say, a town centre. Yeah. So the challenge is to find the customer who's interested, educate them, explain to them what the product is for, convince them with the little money that they have to invest in a solar kit. Often it's worth it because they're replacing, say, kerosene, which mm-hmm. is, is, is more expensive in the long term. But you still have a convincing. You have to then get the product to them. And then if the problem uh, is a problem with the product, you have to get it back. So there's a lot of sure. work to do and for not a huge margin. And so the, the, the challenge is to sell a large volume of these um, kits whilst having this relatively complex um, sale, intrinsically complex sales sure. model. How much does the kerosene cost per day? Also, I'm, what I'm really asking yeah. is what are the costs that the solar model is replacing? Mm. So I think people 
there's, there's different estimations. I think it will depend on the size of your family. Sure, I think yeah. most people estimate that somewhere about the same, it's about the same price as, say, your, um, your uh, as, as the solar as the solar product so say 50 cents per day and that's why the pricing has been chosen at that level although i think it is interesting to note that we recently completed a project in togo uh, with the world bank and what we found there is actually people have switched from kerosene to battery torches sure and um, there the economics makes less sense but you get a much higher quality product so sometimes you're not you know the reality is that the product may be a little bit more expensive for the client but it gives them a much higher quality of light and it also gives them mobile phone charging but it's not necessarily an easy calculation for the um for the household to make sure so it's not even necessarily cheaper but most of the time it is in the case of kerosene it pro and of of a family which uses a good a a good amount of kerosene it's likely to be cheaper but that's not always the the case and i think you know, a, a seller, and I've been in, in rural Kenya quite a lot with the sales team that I used to manage. Yeah. You know, you know, there is a, you have to explain the multiple benefits of, uh, sure. of, of these systems and not only the, the, the pure kind of cost savings. I've heard you talking a bit about, about mini grids in relation to energy access. Mm-hmm. So um, can you tell me a bit more, what is a mini grid and how is it useful for energy access? So a... Solar home system, effectively, if we yeah. think about it, is you put a, a, a system on your house. So you put a, a solar panel on your on your roof, and then with that, it powers some appliances in your in your house. A mini grid is taking a is saying, okay, we're not just going to power your house, but we're going to power a series of of houses and potentially businesses with uh, solar. So you have a kind of small uh, solar farm, say you know a few kilowatts, um, and if, you know, if anything from say five kilowatts to 100 kilowatts and you can then with with that little solar farm mm-hmm. uh, power a series of houses and businesses in a in a village sure so it's a it's a slightly different uh, model i think the advantage that the mini grid model has over a solar home system is that a solar home system will intrinsically be, relati- be relatively small in wattage mm-hmm. so you know the the smallest kits are somewhere around six watts whereas the largest ones will be around 50 watts, but yeah. that means you can only power a limited number of appliances. Say your microwave at yeah. home will be 600 uh, watts, a iron will be 1,000 watts, and then if you're talking about agricultural machinery, it becomes uh, sure. kilowatts. So sure. a mini grid allows you to have a higher level of power, which allows you to, to power different types of larger appliances than just a solar home system. Sure, and then are mini grids becoming more common now? So I think because of that motivation to give people a higher standard of power and bigger appliances, um, the mini grid market people are interested, along with grid connection, it's important to remember that grid connection is also an important part of energy access, uh, are interested in, in, in providing, we can say, a higher quality form of, of power. However, it is more expensive. And so the mini grid companies, except in some you know interesting and notable cases, do require some kind of subsidy to, to pay for the connection. I think there's a few costs that the mini grids have that solar home systems firms do not. Sure. That allow solar home systems companies to, to provide household with a basic level of electricity cheaper, mm. but recognizing that it's not the same power quality. And of course, energy access is not just about solar power or indeed electricity so one challenge which is uh, perhaps even greater is access to clean cooking could you explain 
uh, why clean cooking is important and a bit about the, the scale of the problem. You're exactly right. We use different types of energy for different things and those energies come from different sources. Solar can be seen as a replacement for electricity, sure. um, which uh, you know powers things like mobile phones. It's very important for lighting very important for TVs and, and radio and other electronic appliances. However, you know, as is the case, uh, say, in, in, in the UK, most people use gas for, for cooking and electricity for cooking is relatively expensive and uses a high amount of power. Sure. Uh, so you need a high watt level of watts, which doesn't come, needs a high level of watts, which you cannot have from a solar home system or oh, very yes, expensive yes, yes. to have from a solar home system. Oh, okay. So you need another... You, you know, it's usually more efficient to use another power source for cooking or cheaper to yeah. use another power source for cooking. Um, and in most, you know, most developing countries, and particularly in rural areas of developing countries, people use firewood mm-hmm. um, and to some extent charcoal, sure. uh, which is condensed uh, firewood for their for cooking. Whereas one billion people don't have access to electricity, around two to three billion people don't have access to... So like 20-30% of the world population. Exactly, a huge amount. And the clean cooking situation um, from visiting, you know, both both kind of if you look at the figures and if you go and visit villages, I would argue is a greater problem. Firstly, you have the deforestation problem. People are cutting down trees to cook. Sure. Secondly, um, you have a health problem, which is that people are cooking with firewood and they breathe in the emissions uh, from cooking with firewood. It's... And then you also have a quality problem. It takes a long time to, to cook with it. And you have a climate change problem, which is that deforestation is bad for the, is bad for the climate. So sure. we see that it's a huge, a huge issue and, and one which, if we look at the IEA figures, the clean cooking problem has received a lot less investment than, than mm. electrification, whether it's solar home systems or mini grids. I understand that Anea Consulting has been recently working with a company called Atec. Mm-hmm which provides uh, biodigesters, they're trying to solve the clean cooking problem mm-hmm. with a pay-as-you-go model. So can you explain to us whether or not you think this model, a pay-as-you-go model, can work to address the challenge of clean cooking? As you said, Atec, uh, based in Cambodia, although looking to expand into other countries, um, provides a biogas uh, pay-as-you-go solution. They so biogas essentially is for rural uh, farmers uh, who potentially have say a few cows, a few mm-hmm. pigs who are producing waste, and you can also use other other um, forms of feedstock, but it's mainly animal uh, poo. Yep. And with that with that animal poo, you can trap the methane and then turn it into into gas. Sure. Um, and so. The challenge, as with solar, of biogas is the upfront cost. Potentially, it's it's cheaper and better than using than using say charcoal, mm-hmm. but it does cost to install biogas. There's a much larger range compared to solar because uh, because you can do you can construct a bio biogas digester in uh, either very cheaply for say a few hundred dollars or up to several yeah. up to several thousand. But the the problem is still the same. And then you can effectively install a meter, which will turn the, your biogas system off uh, if, if the client doesn't pay. And mm-hmm. we, having worked with companies like Upower and other, other solar pay-as-you-go uh, providers, worked with Atec as they were developing this pay-as-you-go offer for biogas to understand the risks in pay-as-you-go sure. and what's challenging about the model, um, particularly in terms of customer repayments um, and customer identification and help them improve their operational systems to ensure that the pay-as-you-go 
rollout went well in Cambodia. Yeah. Of course, cooking isn't just about biodigesters and biogas. So other fuels such as LPG, uh, wood pellets, ethanol, um, a variety of other things. I'd like to focus particularly on LPG cooking because I know it's a subject that you are relatively knowledgeable about and that you've been working on. Um, and LPG, of course, is liquefied petroleum gas. Uh, so how, how then is LPG sold and distributed in a energy access context? So, I mean, LPG is the technology that's been around for, for over 100 years. Yes. So it's kind of less sexy and less, uh, less looked at in the, in the kind of energy access space. Yeah. But it does provide access to energy for people uh, without connection to a centralized network. So we as an air consider it part of the energy access. And what we're seeing is that always what's happened in, in the developing countries is the richer households sure. have, have, have used LPG. You know, when I was in Kenya... I would use LPG and, and you know, my, my Kenyan colleagues and Kenyan friends would all have sure. LPG. But actually, in Kenya, that would only be around 5 to 10% of the population and the, uh, everyone else is using um, biomass, so sure. charcoal or wood. Yeah. So for the question is, how do you get to the, the, those remaining you know, 90, 95% of the population who are not using modern cooking but are yeah. using biomass? We wrote a paper, and they yeah. wrote a paper that yeah. I referred to. I think there's lots of different parts to the puzzle. Sure. There's a question of regulation. Uh, there's a question of uh, investment in the cylinders. Uh, you know, you need some upfront investors for investment from, from manufacturers. There's a lot about kind of market structure and, and who's responsible for what, and in particular in terms of safety. Mm-hmm. And then there's a big question on affordability. And that, I think, is a real challenge for the sector, is that an LPG uh, cylinder up front will cost say $20 for the deposit and this is for the smallest smallest type already there's been an effort to create smaller cylinders and say they cost $20 as deposit $10 as for the gas uh, refill or even maybe 15 and then uh, after that you have say uh, to buy a burner you have to buy the kind of equipment Mm. to, to cook with and so it becomes an upfront investment sure. for, for, a, for a poor household. And in particular, they need to find that $10, $15 to replace their yeah. cylinder every month or two months. And does the pay-as-you-go model not work for LPG? So we uh, and AIR have worked with a company called Copper Gas on pay-as-you-go LPG. Mm-hmm. And so it's a model which the technology is there. Um, basically, it involves putting a smart meter onto an LPG cylinder. And that's being trialed by a number of companies, including several pay-as-you-go solar firms, such as B-Box and, and Phoenix, uh, who are looking to, to develop in that uh, sector. And so we've been working with, with, with some of those companies on their strategies. Mm-hmm. The challenge is the economics of the, of the system and notably the, the meter. And sure. these companies are all working hard to reduce the price of that meet, smart meter. To ensure that to ensure that the product can remain affordable for the for the final customer, and also thinking about how that smart meter can not only measure gas but can also be used for other purposes, as in you know can be used for improved delivery, mm. can be used for kind of automatic refill. The customer will become more loyal to the firm yeah. that provides its smart meter. So there's definitely some other benefits of yeah. the pay-as-you-go meter. But the challenge is that it remains the economics of that, of that model. I want to ask one final question. Mm-hmm. So, of course, LPG is fossil-derived. And even though it's used to replace fuels, which are likely to be worse for the environment, yep. like clearly you're getting rid of the mm-hmm. deforestation problem. And, of course, you're improving the health problem. Uh, do you think that... 
it's possible or easier to focus on providing energy access as fast as possible and then to decarbonize afterwards? Or do you think it's uh, more effective to focus on low carbon energy access solutions? This is a topic which is widely discussed in the, in the sector and people have very strong opinions about their preferred solution. I personally find it morally difficult to say to say to a household in, in any country that I continue to use natural gas sure. or my family in the countryside use LPG and say that the solution is not allowed effectively and we're not yeah, going to yeah. allow this solution in a developing market because of the, the climate imperative. I think that's, that's, that's one, one point. I think the second point, and then we see the health and the deforestation challenges mm-hmm. of, of the kind of current cooking solution. I think the second is, as you said, it's almost certainly a climate benefit now, yes. even if you're right that there potentially other solutions can emerge in the future that will be more climate friendly. But already just by investing in, in LPG now, we are reducing emissions compared to, say, charcoal. Okay, sure. Um, and then the third part in the in the short to medium term as well is that there are ways, for example, from, from flared gas to, mm. to produce LPG, so you can you can do that on a on a lower carbon basis. Yeah. And then there's also work into bio biopropane, and there sure. are biopropane that is available here in France or in the in the UK using in this case used cooking oils. So yeah. there are solutions. So I would say it is a is a solution. I think that doesn't prevent anyone from also looking at innovation in particularly into electric cooking um, which is happening there's a large kind of different funded uh, project called the modern energy cooking services Mm -hmm. that really focuses a lot on on research in that area Um, i think there's potential also for kind of pellets and sustainable pellets but it's Mm -hmm. a very challenging uh, business model as well but i i I wouldn't want and as a as a sector i don't think there's many people saying stop yeah, of course. Certain yeah, technologies yeah. and focus on others. Sure. However, I yeah. do think I mean, that LPG the human benefit is just so so huge and so yeah. necessary. And I do think that in terms of scale now, yeah. um, you know, I think I go 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 and you know visiting rural Kenya. You know, we have uh, a family that uh, that I'm quite close close to in in rural Western Kenya, and you visit the house. Um, well, already you visit the area. Uh, around Kisi in Western Kenya, and you see the effect of deforestation. Mm. Uh, so the trees are being cut down now. Sure. And you go into people's homes, and you, you, I can barely walk into the kitchen because of the indoor air pollution. Oh, sure. And then you hear the the the, the mother Joyce of the household coughing because of yeah, yeah. the fact that she's been cooking in these in these surroundings. And you think, wow, if we could just switch this family to to an LPG solution now, that would be a positive for health, for the climate, for the environment, and, and for that family now. And then potentially over time, that person, they, they can, as the solar cost of solar, of batteries comes down, potentially switch them to sure. solar cooking. But for me, the, the, the problem is, is now, the solution is there, and we should, sure. we should look to, to resolve it quicker. Thank you very much, Richard. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, maybe come back again one day. Uh, well, hopefully not. Hopefully, we'll have everyone will have energy access, and no one will, oh, sure. no one will talk, about talk about the, about it, the yeah. topic, and we can switch to the main part of an yeah. an Air's business, which is energy transition. Enea Consulting is an international strategy consulting firm based in Paris, Hong Kong, and Melbourne. Since two thousand and seven, Enea has been advising and supporting leading private sector companies and public authorities around the world on energy transition. 
For more information, please visit our website at inea-consulting.com. 